I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to Dog Edition. Where voices from around the world consider all things dog. Dog Edition is the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Today on the show, Dogs as Healers, how the connection between canine and human can help mend the mind and maybe the body. And later on the show, I will share with you a traditional medicine cure for sore throats involving your pup. You're safe, Jim. I'm not going to make you drink it. (laughs) Whoa, I'm going to be listening. So you should too, because if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's take a walk because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? As we prepare for our fall season here on Dog Edition, we are reaching into our archives to pull segments that you may not have heard and we think are pretty special. A few months ago, our reporter Olivia Bradley spoke to Ward Cyril about his transformative experience with his dog in the Alaskan wilderness. And can I just say that I love Ward's voice in this piece. It's so calming. You're a dog lover. You know life is better with your best friend by your side. But have you ever stopped to think, maybe having dogs makes you better? I'm not talking about dog people as a superior demographic. No, I mean that maybe dogs are capable of helping us grow. I spoke with Ward Serrell, the award-winning writer and director of critically acclaimed documentary The Heart of the Game. He's made more than 90 short films, but Ward wasn't always the prolific artist he is today. Ward's new memoir, To Crack the World Open, Solitude, Alaska, and a Dog Named Woody, tells a human story of healing and self-discovery guided by canine companionship. Here's Ward. I was a three-piece suited accountant, a CPA, riding the the elevators of, of skyscrapers in downtown Seattle. And wondering, you know, how did I get here? And one time in a meeting when I heard one of the partners say this word, Alaska, and something in my soul just lit up. And so pretty soon there I was with my audit bags, you know, riding the the Alaska State Ferry and going up to these remote villages, Clinkett and Haida villages. And, and the gourmet air and water of Alaska just knocked me between the eyeballs and and never let up. And I knew I had to figure out a way to stay up there. Sounds like a beautiful setting for a story. Could you tell me a little bit about your book? My book is an adventure-driven story of a, of an exile from corporate America, me. It's a search for freedom. It's about an adventure in Alaska. And it's about dog as co-pilot into solitude to discover self. Woody was the first creature I knew who didn't come pressed into a box. His body was built of interfitting furry triangles. Triangle ears, triangle head, triangle nose. The triangles of his legs when he walked, all arrayed along a horizontal cylinder. Woody was a magnificent rolling wave of spontaneous canine geometry. 
the minute you step into solitude, as I did, and living in an abandoned cabin, then some part of it is outward adventure, and then some part of it becomes an inward-facing journey. I was actually seeking a form of personal freedom outside the the force field of my family and culture that it, I felt warped me into an unrecognizable form. And so I was just heading out away from all of that. And I started to bump up against parts of me that were um, damaged. And I had the courage to look into those because of the dog. And what did you find? It's not easy to talk about, but I do believe that experiences within the womb can be traumatic. And in my case, four months before being born, my mom tried to kill herself. Something happened at that moment. And after I was born, she was unable to show physical affection. So I wasn't physically touched. I was literally bundled away by the nurses. And I don't remember any instance of skin-to-skin contact in my youth. I grew up touch-deprived to a level of of unhealthiness um, that affected me my whole life. And I wasn't at all aware of the impact of those things in my early 20s when I ran off to Alaska. I just knew something was wrong and I had to like get away from everybody and everything to try to figure that out. And Woody gave me the the courage to start exploring that. You know, here I was running away from culture and running away from society and alone in a cabin with a dog and starting to come into terms with understanding that that had happened to me and how it formed me. Being body to body with another creature really gave me a chance for my central nervous system really to regulate and realize, wow, this is touch. It's, it's okay. And, you know, it's, it's a step away from human touch, reaching out for it and receiving it. And that was to come. <laughs> but it began with Woody, this creature that really accepted me being able to sometimes just lie down with his body, you know, somehow touching mine. That was revelatory to me. I was just like, ah, you know, I'd breathe with him. Dogs can reflect our tendencies and so be a mirror for self-reflection where all healing begins. We can see ourselves in them, I believe. So what exactly did Woody show you in yourself? What was in your reflection? You know, I had moments of of anger and I started to look into those moments of anger and find that that was my dad. I started to be towards Woody as my dad was towards me and I caught that. Could you say a little more about that? I was pursuing a personal profound sense of freedom. And so I allowed him to be a free roaming dog and we were out in country where that could be. Well, he started to come and go as he wished. He would stay out longer and longer. And I would sometimes, you know, get angry about that or he'd take off and I'd just, you know, start seething. 
And I caught myself doing that once in a kind of an extreme way where I was about to hit him. I caught myself mid-strike and said, oh my God, look at me. And I felt my dad in the cabin at that moment. I laid down on the cabin floor and I held Woody and I, I promised him I would never, you know, hit him again. And I didn't for the for the rest of our days together. Any dog can reflect aspects of us that we need to, to tend to, care for, love. I think they reflect both conscious and unconscious parts of ourselves. And I, it's not a coincidence that a lot of dogs and owners look alike. It's not a coincidence that um, some of a human's neurotic tendencies appear in dogs. Um, you know, high-strung or tightly wired people often have dogs of same. So I think they also can reflect our potentialities. They are mirrors to patience. They're mirrors to acceptance. They're mirrors to readiness for what is of being in the present and for asking for what they want. My journey to Alaska with Woody was a rite of passage. It involved a movement through a series of ordeals that resulted in ultimately me returning to the world, not as an accountant or business guy, but as an artist. You know, I started to do public radio. I started to do theater. I started to do poetry. I started to do all these other things, filmmaking. That all happened up in Alaska. So, you know, from accounting to art. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. It infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpop, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpop is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. So Ward Serrell demonstrated that, you know, his dog, Woody, was perfect medicine for him. But Claire, you teased at the beginning of this show that you had some other ways that dogs could could provide medicine for us. Well, yeah, it really got me thinking about how dogs are very much used for our mental health at the moment. But if you look back in history, they've been used for our physical health, which has obviously sort of fallen out of favour. And this was sparked a little bit by, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Outlander. Sing me a song of I have seen it. I'm not. I, I don't follow it very well. Though. Well, part of the storyline for that, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is it's somebody who goes back in time, and she has been a doctor in the uh, 20th century, and she goes back and she's using sort of natural cures. And in one of the episodes, they used a dog-related product for something, and it just made me think. I wonder how many of those recipes and how much they use dog-related things back in the 17th century. So I came across this recipe for a cure for a sore throat. And you'll definitely like the first two ingredients, and then we'll get into what the third ingredient is and the logic behind it. Okay, let me let me get out my recipe book and write this down. So uh, <laughs> uh, first ingredient is? One pint of beer of the strongest and oldest available. One pint strong and old beer. Okay. Okay, I guess it would be British because it would be warm. (laughs) Fine. Done. Check. Okay. Two spoons of Melrosatum. Now, that was what they used to call honey back in the day. Two spoons Mel... No, we'll just do honey. This is like the warm lemon and and honey thing that we do now for sore throats, um, just involving beer. Okay, so we we got our old, stale, warm British beer and two spoons of honey and the third ingredient okay now just reach into your you know apothecary and draw out six pieces of album graysum album graysum i think i may be low on that what is album graysum <laughs> well you know any fans of latin might remember the album is it's sort of related to white so that's that's the first bit uh-huh. but actually it is um dry white dog feces <laughs> Sorry about that. And the logic behind why they would use it is because they fed dogs a lot of bones and so it was very rich in phosphate. So it it did have some sort of mineral properties to it that were good. It's not just a horrible, you know, medicine. It did have some properties that were good. Mm. I think I'm going to forego the album Grayson, but I'm so glad that dogs contribute to this tonic. So once I mix these three ingredients I'm supposed to ingest this? Well, let me tell you about the method and, and how you would do this. So oh, yeah. you, would, um, you would put it all together. You would cook the ingredients over a gentle fire. You know, this is probably like, a, mm. like almost like a cauldron over an open fire um, <laughs> until the liquid reduced to half its volume. Okay. The liquid then had to be strained and sieved. That was to get 
the lumpy bits out of the Alden Grayson, you know, you'd <laughs> just get that completely out of there, uh, before being administered to the patient, either consumed by the spoonful or by rinsing it in the mouth. And I'm very tempted to do that sound effect, just, just to give you all the mental image. Hang on. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's my Alden Grayson. Lovely. Mm. Excellent. And, and you chugged it. And it's really nice. But I guess I think I may not use that tonic. But it's good to know that this was, was this considered like pretty commonplace in, in the 17th century? Apparently so. I mean, you have to use your imagination. There were no medicines freely available. They relied on what they had at the time. And I guess there was a lot of honey and beer and dog poop. Excellent. Now, in the course of your research on this delicious recipe, you've uncovered some other things from back then. Yeah, here's a really nice one. Um, Not so nice if you had the uh, physical problem, but if you had an intestinal obstruction, then the recommendation from uh, this expert in folklore medicine, Thomas Sydenham, was that he instructed that you would use a live puppy and it would be laid on your naked belly for two or three days. I don't know how the puppy (laughs) would stay there for that long. (laughs) Um, Sit, stay, two or three days. Yeah, two two or three days. Um, The puppy would then keep you warm. So it's like using a hot water bottle, which, of course, they didn't Mm. have at the time. But also, because this was the 17th century and they didn't kind of think entirely logical, they thought that not just that it was warm, but also that the obstruction would then sort of magically transfer from your own belly to the dog, which isn't so good. Okay. Well, I may not be doing that because I wouldn't want to give my dog anything that I was dealing with. That's a great folk cure. I think we may also not be using that anymore. I'm quite liking the idea of saying instead of getting a hot water bottle if I had a problem to say, get me a live puppy, please. I must not move for two days. <laughs> my dog has laid by my ankles when I had a, a sprained ankle. And so she knew that and provided warmth there. And and similarly, when it was, how do I say, uh, that time of the month, uh, Kanga would also provide warm puppy vibes to my wife. So I can see that there is some use of that to this very day. And environmentally friendly, you know, no no rubber mm-hmm. hot water bottles and things. This is it's great. No. It could really catch on. And they're very happy they're very happy to do this. Does Maple do that for you? Uh not Maple hasn't had an opportunity yet, but we certainly had a beagle called Bella and beagles are such lovely affectionate dogs anyway. And I remember when I had real morning sickness with my son and mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time lying on the sofa that she was always right next to me on the sofa for all of that time. It's so much so that we called her Nurse Bella. Wow. And um, the other thing is, I'm sure you've heard this as sort of a myth that's even to this day kind of persists, which this is this idea of dogs licking your wounds and the saliva sort of helping the wounds to heal. I mean, they certainly enjoy doing it, don't they? If you've got a cut, they will lick your hand or whatever. Right. I hear the thing that, oh, dog saliva is cleaner than our own saliva, but I don't think that is empirically true. I think that's been proven to be an old wives' tale. I think pretty much it's one of those things they say, don't go there anymore. But certainly in the 17th century, it was something that wounds and ulcers, and by that I think they're thinking external ulcers rather than ones in your mouth, they would use a dog to lick them Mm -hmm. and that would help cure the wounds. And here's another one for you. Have you heard of the phrase hair of the dog? This might be a British thing. I'm not sure. I've heard about it. It's like when when you're when you're hungover, you have a drink the next morning, 
a bit of the head, the dog that bit you uh, to, um, to to overcome your hangover. I don't know how effective that is either. But what is the what is the etymology behind that? Well, there is actual logic, and this comes again from traditional medicine, which oh. is that if you were bitten by a rabid dog, they would take the hair of the dog and put it in the wound oh. that the dog had made to help heal it, supposedly. Also, uh, modern science at its best. Wow. Okay, so take a hair of a rabid dog after he bites you, and that will cure the rabies. So after it's bitten you, you then have to chase it round, catch it, right, and, and remove right. some hair. <laughs> Come back here and let me let me get one of your little hair follicles. Um, yeah, well, I imagine that it's nice to see that modern medicine moves forward and some of these things are, are no longer applicable. In any case, dogs are great medicine, and uh, I think that's a that's a good place for us to pause this week. And I want to thank you for joining us on today's episode and bringing Dog Edition along with you on your walk. We will be back soon with another episode of Dog Edition, but chances are you and your dog will be taking a walk between now and then. And so we have other things for you to listen to. If you're interested in hearing more from some of our guests, please check out DPN's sister show, The Long Leash, for Jim's extended conversations. If you'd like to hear more from Ward Serrell, listen to our episode that I did with Ward Serrell. It's called Dogs as Therapists, and we will have a link to that episode in today's show notes. And follow Dog Edition in your favorite podcast app so you can take us along on your dog walk next time. I'm Claire Mansell in Ottawa, Canada. And I'm James Jacobson here in Maui, Hawaii. Thank you for listening today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.